Welcome to the American Council of Christian Churches podcast. Since 1941, Bible-believing Christians holding to the great fundamental truths of the Word of God as held by the historic Christian Church have worked through the ACCC to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Through this podcast, you'll hear general and breakout sessions from our conventions and meetings and the Council's official resolutions and publications. Today's podcast is a message given by Rev. Justin Kaufman at the ACCC's 2022 Annual Convention at Faith Chapel in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Justin is the pastor of the Faith Baptist Church in Kittery, Maine, and his message is from 2 Corinthians 11, verses 2-4, through 4, titled, Promise to One Husband, to Christ. You'll take your Bibles open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Promise to one husband to Christ. The truth for Christ and the church. And the truth needs to be given by men of God. Men called to the ministry, not men seeking the ministry in and of themselves, but men who are called, men who are equipped, men who, as we've heard earlier, who are walking with the Lord, who are living a life of holiness, men in which God can use. Pastors have been given a sacred trust in being called to the ministry and to the church of God's choosing, his leading. And we must take this calling very, very seriously. God has given us this honor and this privilege. And the ministry that is given to us is for the well-being of those in whom we minister to. It's not a job. It's a service of propagating the truth of God's word to churches, to people throughout this world, living in paganism, living in darkness, who need the light, who need the truth. They don't need to be entertained. They need to be taught the word of God. Line by line, verse by verse, book by book, knowing the truths of the Lord How should a minister serve? How should he perform his duty before God? How do we serve the church? We need to do it with a right attitude, and we need to do it with a proper aim. And so real simply, just two points today. The pastor's attitude must be one of love and action, and the pastor's aim must be promoting loyalty to Christ. And I want to Take the time now to read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, Let me read the first five verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which you have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. For I suppose... I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles. Let us pray. 
Father, we are thankful for thy word. We pray now, Father, for these few moments that you would be with us in understanding the pastor's goal, his aim, and his attitude. Teach us your word this morning, Father. Encourage our hearts, challenge us. Give us ears to hear, hearts to take it in, and then the ability to practice the things that we hear. Guide us by your spirit, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You have to excuse me if my voice cuts in and out. I've been struggling with my voice for several years now, and uh, sometimes it can be a bit weak, but I will endeavor with God's grace to, to speak clearly. The pastor's attitude must be one of love and action. And the question for us is, why are we in the ministry? What is our purpose? Are we truly here for the glory of God and for the sake of the people that God has entrusted to us? Of course, we hope so. But there are people who go into the ministry for various reasons. And we got to make sure that we are serving God with a right attitude, with a right heart, a right mindset. I want us to notice the pastor's attitude must be one again of love and action. In verse 1, Paul really hates to have to do this. He says, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. As I thought about what Paul had to do, I thought about the the attitude of walking with integrity. We as pastors must walk with integrity. Paul despises having to validate his ministry, his work, his credentials. He saw it as complete foolishness. But his credentials, his work, his ministry uh, was being called into question. There were the false teachers and apostles there who said things about Paul such as, Well, he doesn't speak well. He's he's not smart enough. And many other accusations that were brought against him. He had to defend himself, but he thought that to be foolishness. He didn't want it to be about himself. He wanted his ministry to be about the Lord. But he was, as we may say, pushed into doing this. And there are several reasons why he needed to, quote-unquote, act foolishly. Number one, to answer the charges from these false apostles, these false teachers, either Hellenistic Jews desiring prestige or power or Judaizers, whoever they were exactly, they were looked to be ones who should be listened to and followed, and so they were demeaning the ministry of Paul. And the worst thing about it was those in Corinth, those of the churches in Corinth, were desiring impressive credentials. They wanted men who were dynamic speakers, men with great credentials. You know, we have that today to some degree, men who are supposed great speakers, powerful speakers. And so everybody wants to flock to hear them. And sometimes those of our churches want to hear them, and then when we speak, they compare us to those and people like that. But Paul had those who were calling his ministry into question. They were listening to the wrong people, those in the congregation of Corinth. So Paul was forced to defend himself and his calling, his apostleship, 
He desired that the Corinthians would bear with him in this foolishness. Throughout chapters 10 through 13, he had to defend or vindicate himself so that the Corinthians would listen to him instead of listening to the false teachers. Paul should be listened to. And why should Paul be listened to? Well, several things here. Number one, he was called by God to be an apostle. He had absolute authority from Jesus Christ himself. He had that authority, not of his, not of his own being, but of Christ or through Christ. A second reason he ought to be listened to is he led many of them to Christ. He was their spiritual father. He discipled them. He poured his life into them. And now all of a sudden they're questioning him. And number three, he was truly a man of integrity. He was a man who could be trusted. I mean, why are they listening to these false teachers? Paul was with them for some time. They saw Paul's heart. They saw his desire. They saw his love for them. And now they call it into question. The false teachers were deceivers. They were charlatans. We must be men who are ethical. Men who could be trusted. Paul was certainly one who should have been listened to. His heart was seen by all as someone who cared for them. He did everything upright, unlike what we'll see with these false teachers who deceived and did not have the interest of the people at heart. But Paul did. We must be ethical men of moral principle so that people will listen to us. They shouldn't call us into question. People should never question our motives. Why are we doing what we are doing? We need to be men of integrity. Poor Paul had to defend himself, and he thought it to be foolishness. He says in verse 2, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. A pastor's attitude must not only be one of integrity, but of jealous zeal for the spiritual good of God's people. A jealous zeal for the spiritual good of of God's people. The false teachers affecting Corinth certainly, again, as I said, did not care about the people. They wanted to make money off them. They wanted uh, their own fame and their fortune, their prestige. And so, unhesitatingly, they would take advantage of the people. They know Paul never did that. They never saw Paul act that way or do those things. In contrast, Paul was jealous over them. He desired earnestly, he pursued their spiritual well-being. He exerted himself so that they could grow in Christ and know Christ and serve Christ. He cared about their spiritual well-being. Paul had a zeal. Do we have a zeal for God's people? Do we have a zeal for the spiritual good of the people? If you're a pastor today, that sit in your pews. We ought to have a zeal for them because others are trying to take them away from Christ. Others are trying to deceive them. And we need to have a zeal for their lives and their hearts. Paul had a zeal for the people he ministered to. He had a zeal for his own people, the Jews. We read in Romans 9, chapter, excuse me, Romans 9, verses 2 and 3, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ. For my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul had a genuine, heartfelt concern for others. 
False teachers did not care. Notice that Paul adds with a godly jealousy, like God's jealousy for Israel, such as Joshua 24 and 19 and other places where where Joshua explained that God had a jealous love for you, that it was foolishness to go after idolatry. You go to God who loves you. Do we have a jealous zeal for our people? Do we care that others are coming along and leading them astray? And if you're not sure if that's happening, you just start talking to your people. And listen to who they watch on TV or who they read from the bookstore, who they listen to on the radio. And all of a sudden you realize that the things they are listening to are things that are going to deceive them and lead them in a direction away from a, a, a love for Christ or at least a devotion for the purity of Christ's word. Are we zealous for God's people? Paul desired that the Christians here would listen to him, not to those false teachers. He desired their attention because he knew they were being led astray. He had great concern for them. You notice in verse 3, he says, But I have fear, lest by any means, as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I'll return to that in a moment. But Paul had a legitimate fear. And that fear is around today. Satan's out to deceive, and he uses so-called ministers to do that. We need to love our people. We need to desire their spiritual good. We need to have a jealousy over our people, that they will listen to us, who pour our lives into them, who love them, that they'll listen to us and what we have to say, that we care about them. Many are listening to the quote-unquote star preachers and they listen to them more than their own pastors. And my friends, I think it's especially happening with our younger people. You see, we, we don't always measure up to the, the big guys, you know, the, the big conferences, the guys who are on TV, those speakers with thousands and thousands of people listening to them and after all, they listen to, to him, and he look at the following he has, and then they look back at their, their own pastor, and they look at the smallness of the church, and they think, well, maybe that other guy has something to consider. But we have to have a jealousy for our young folks that they understand that we're pouring our lives into preaching the truth for them. It's not about how polished we are, but it's about what's being taught, the Word of God and the doctrines, that they are true and that we are presenting them to them and helping them to grow. But we need to be jealous over our people. Satan is certainly committed to leading them astray. We need to be more committed than Satan is to leading our people astray. We need to have a love for them. Are we truly jealous for our people that are entrusted to us? If you're a pastor here today, your folks are entrusted to you. God has given them to you to teach and to lead. And we need to take that seriously. We need to remember that and we need to be jealous over them as Paul was jealous over these Corinthians. 
But we have something else here as far as our attitude. We need to always have an attitude of responsibility. So we saw we need an attitude of integrity. We need an attitude of jealous zeal for the spiritual good of those that we minister. But we also need a feeling of responsibility. As a pastor, I know I will have to give an account one day to how I preach and teach God's Word. Hebrews 13, 17 The author writes, Obey them that have the rule over you. He's writing to the church folk. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Paul reminds the Corinthians here that he espoused them to Christ. Verse 2 again, he says, I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So Paul reminds them, I'm the one that, that, that brought you to Christ. I brought you the gospel message. I espouse them to one husband, to Christ. That word espouse, to fitly join together, to give in marriage. But I like that picture of fitly joined together, bringing people into union with Jesus Christ. He says that he, he brought them to Christ and he wants to present them to the Lord, a chaste virgin. Of course, in that day, the father was responsible for the daughter until she was married, that, she made sure, that he made sure she was kept pure and ready for her husband when the husband came calling for her. And Paul wanted to make sure that in his ministry that those he were ministering to were growing in Christ's likeness, that they were growing in their sanctification, that he could present them to Christ and that he could do it with a pure heart. He was their spiritual father. He believed he had a responsibility towards them. And do we understand we have a responsibility to the people in our, in our pews? If they're not growing, there's a part of that that may be our fault. And we're responsible for that. Paul was concerned. He knew there was trouble. He knew there was a problem in Corinth. And so he says, I espoused you to one husband. I brought you out of the darkness of paganism and led you to Christ, the message. And God saved them. And God was sanctifying them. But they used to be in that darkness and Paul brought the gospel message to them. He wanted them to understand that, again, these false teachers would be leading them astray, not helping them spiritually. Paul wanted to present them a chaste virgin. He wanted the Corinthians to be growing in their walk with Christ. You know, a little bit of a side note. Sometimes we so badly want our folks to grow. We want them to grow spiritually. We want them to be everything that God wants them to be. And as a pastor, it might wear on us because somehow we think we have to do it all. That we have to actually change them. And we need to be reminded, as we have already been today, it's God that changes them. It's God that sanctifies them. We have a responsibility to give them the truth of God's word, but it is God that will actually sanctify and purify them. Maybe it's just me, but I find myself at times getting caught thinking I have to change them. And it wears on you. 
And I need to be reminded it's the working of Christ. And he's the one that sanctifies us. And so we need to have an attitude of integrity, an attitude of a jealous zeal for the spiritual good of God's people. And we need to have a feeling of responsibility. God has given these people to me as a pastor, and I'm responsible for their spiritual growth and their maturity. But what about the pastor's aim? The pastor's aim must be promoting loyalty to Christ. Satan has a goal too, right? Satan has an aim. And what is Satan's goal? To derail the church. To derail God's people. To distract them. That's not too difficult today, is it? To deceive them, to corrupt them, and to keep people from Christ. And as, as the old saying goes, he's doing a bang-up job of distracting Christians, deceiving them. Again, in verse 3, Paul says, I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He had this legitimate fear. Satan sought to destroy them. He had his, his servants there in Corinth already to destroy them. And he's not going to slow down. He's not going to stop. He's on a mission. The problem today is that too many pastors seem to ignore or take lightly this truth that Satan is out to destroy and that he's doing a very good job. Paul's fear motivates him to write so passionately for his people. The threat is also real. You listen to his concerns in places like, if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 20, he understands the threats. And I wonder sometimes, do we really understand the threats that are out there? If we do not take seriously the spiritual well-being of our people, and we just find ourselves going through the motions of ministry, we're going to fail them, Satan is going to gain some victories, and then we're going to be standing back wondering why things are the way they are. But you notice when Paul is saying farewell to the Ephesians, he says, we'll start in verse 28, he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day. And notice, with tears, with tears. Paul understood the threat. Paul understood and he wanted them to understand that even amongst themselves there would be those who would deceive and lead people astray. Paul had a concern. The threat is real. And so, no wonder here in 2 Corinthians 11.3, he says, I fear. I fear. Notice he says, I fear less by any means, that somehow, in some way, and Satan has many, many ways in which he leads and deceives people and leads them astray. He says, less by any means. You notice, and unfortunately sometimes with their own people, how little discernment they have breaks my heart sometimes. You pour, as I said, your heart into teaching the Word of God faithfully, 
chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and you're talking to one of your people, and they make a comment, and your jaw drops, and you just stand there thinking to yourself, have they listened to anything that I have said? And in the discernment, there's just so little discernment. And don't be deceived. If you think your people are super spiritually strong, you might be sadly mistaken. Satan is on a bang-up job of deceiving. And I know believers who, who've been with God for many, many, many years. And you can see the deception, how they've been deceived. Satan doesn't quit. Satan doesn't give up. And you notice that he says, I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. He says here, he beguiled Eve. He seduced her, led her into error. The word has the idea to deceive completely. And what did he do? He attacked her thinking. Did God say that? You're not going to die. It's not so bad. And how did he do it? As the text says, through subtlety, shrewdness, cunning, crafty. By any means that he can. He's, he's versatile, right? Satan's very versatile. He has many ways of, of deceiving people. Now Satan has a goal here. Two things that he does. Corruption of the mind and the loss of single-minded devotion to Christ. Again, he says, he beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. First, the corrupting of the mind. He has an army made up of demons and false teachers and false apostles. We read about it in verses 12 and following. But what I do, that I will do that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that whereby they glory, that they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing that his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works." We see here the, the deception. Again, verse 14, Satan masquerades as an angel of light, and yet he's the prince of darkness. He tries to redefine truth. He leads people astray. His work is to control the mind, our thinking, which includes questioning the wisdom of the past, right? We have many today questioning the wisdom of the godly leaders who have gone before us. Men who taught us good, solid, biblical separation principles. And now all of that is called in question by many in the younger generations and sometimes from those in the older generations. Satan deceives that we start to think, well, maybe that's not the way it should be. And he confuses. He tries to skew our philosophy, our methods, with things like we need to be more like society to win them. How foolish, right? But it's prevalent today. we got to be like the society, or at least to some degree, at least soften the message so that we can get their attention. But why don't we instead set the example and influence society by bringing them to God's standards and help them to understand the holiness of God? 
Why do we bring God down to man? Should we not take those in society and bring them up to God? But yet we want to dumb things down. And so we act like the society around us. I was in Florida for five and a half years. There was a, a church outside of Tampa. And they got this, this idea that they would go into the bars. And so what they decided to do is they got shot glasses and they printed on the shot glasses their church you know, website, address, name, the whole works. And so they would go into the bars and sit down and have a drink with those and share the shot glasses, you know. Instead of passing out a track, let's just pass out a shot glass. You know, it, it's not always to that extreme, but there are many ways in which we try to be like the culture around us. Satan deceives the mind. And he's good at it. He's had a long time, a lot of practice. But he deceives the mind. And friends, what breaks my heart is he's deceiving our young folks' minds, our young people. But Satan's good at what he does. Notice over at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We think to ourselves here, God has gifted the church with their pastor. Now we know here that we have some of the, the different uh, things that were gifted that are no longer used today, but it says there he gave some apostles. Of course, we don't have apostles today. Some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. You have been gifted to your church. I'm not saying you are the great gift necessarily in the sense of we're something special, but God has called you to your church. He has gifted that church with you as their pastor. And why are you there? Verse 12, for the perfecting or the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. But then notice verse 14. He, he does all this that we can edify the body, teach the body, that we henceforth no more be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. That's the language of what Satan does. Back in 2 Corinthians, verse 14, the pastor is to help to have stability and doctrine for spiritual maturity, but there's an enemy seeking to hinder that work. It says there in verse 14, slight of men, trickery. In that day, they had loaded dice for cheating. That kind of idea of trickery. It says they're cunning craftiness. They're deceitful. And they're successful at it. Notice they lie in wait. Uh, they lie in wait. The the, the couple words there, plane, a wandering out of the right way. And then we have methodia here. Craft, trickery, the thought process, a strategy or scheme. And so together we have this phrase, lie in wait. There, there's a scheme to lead them into error. They know what they're doing. They have a, a, a thought process. They have a scheme to do this. And they lead people astray. Satan knows what he's doing. He has an excellent army that follows him. And he's good at deceiving many people. Notice 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. 2 Peter 
chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. And they privily shall bring in damnable heresies. Privily, secretly, craftily bring in these these fatally destructive heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious, their destructive ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. We find case after case of Satan's work, his deception. And no wonder here in our text Paul says, I fear. Do you fear for your people? Are you jealous for your people? that they are growing spiritually, that they are loyal to Jesus Christ, because we have a great enemy that's leading them astray. And he seems to be doing a good job of it today. My, my heart breaks more over thinking through our younger people. I have four children. And my my. My goal is to not have them go to church because dad says so, because dad's the pastor, because that's what you have to do. I want them to love Jesus Christ. I know far too many pastors' children, pastors' children, excuse me, who are not walking with the Lord. Can I say this? It scares me to death sometimes. Now, I got to trust Christ. I understand that. But when I see the carnage, Satan is after our people. He's after our young people. And he's doing an excellent job. And we need our young people to love Jesus Christ, to be loyal to Jesus Christ, that they serve him because they love him. Because he means something to them. We need to cultivate that love for them or that love that they would have for Christ. Because Satan wants to affect the mind, but he also has a second goal. He, of course, wants, and it goes hand in hand, but he wants to lead them away from a devotion to Christ. This intellectual deception has a purpose to lead people away from that single-minded loyalty to Jesus Christ. So your mind should be corrupted, verse 3, from the simplicity that is in Christ. Simplicity, that faithfulness, that sincerity, that pure devotion for Christ. A single-hearted loyalty, a singleness of affection toward Christ. How easy it is to get distracted. How easy it is to, to have a desire for other things. The word insinuates no divided loyalties. We think of James chapter 1, verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so Satan seeks to distract us and to corrupt and misdirect our affections, our loyalties, and our priorities. We need that devotion to Christ, that loyalty to Christ. And maybe there are many who need to turn the TV off. Put their phones down. 
Man, if that's not one of the biggest things of Satan, I don't know what is. Everybody walks around with their phone. Oh, now the real spiritual ones say, but I got a devotional app. How much time do we spend with Christ? How much time do we spend reading his word? And and not just reading the word, but meditating on the word. Coming into the gospels and meditating on the life of Christ. And cultivating that passion and that love for Christ. Paul wanted his people to have a passion for Christ. But he understood that many were being led astray by these false teachers. Friends, we cannot be asleep at the wheel. Satan is busy. There are many leading our people astray. I know pastors who, I just go about my business. I really don't know what's going on, but I don't have time for that. I really don't care. You better care. Now, you can't know everything that's going on. I understand that. There's a lot of resources to help you. But you have to know what's going on out there. That's what makes the ACC and all those pamphlets so good is because you can come and you can read those and you can share them with our people. I have a young guy in my church that I've been discipling. Um, It's not been easy, but he came to me one day and he started a Bible study with some of his friends and family. And he said, you know what I'm using? He said, I'm going through Bible separation. I'm using those ACCC pamphlets you got in the back of the church. I thought, wow, well, praise God. So we'll put the shameless plug. Get a bunch of those papers. Have them in the back of your church or somewhere. People will surprise you and actually pick them up and read them and use them. That is needed today. We need a passion for Christ. Satan is leading us away from that loyalty to Christ. We need to have family devotions, personal devotions. We need to pray. And yeah, we get so busy sometimes and... And these things can slip by, but they're so important and so vital in the day in which we live. Satan's not, he's not letting his foot off the pedal, right? He's, he's, he's certainly not giving up or quitting. Paul had such a concern here. You and I as pastors, we need to make sure that our aim is to promote loyalty to Christ. That our folks love the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, For he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, will receive another spirit which we have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might well bear with them. The Corinthians were putting up with errant, errant uh, messages, errant theology, an errant gospel. They should have known better, but Satan was accomplishing his plan. He says, For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, first class conditional statement, it's true, it's happening, it's what's going on. If they come and they preach any other message, They should not accept it. That last part of the verse, we're running out of time. That last part of the verse, he says, or another gospel, which you have not accepted, but you might well bear with him. In other words, what that means, you're putting up with it very well. Or too readily, you're listening, you're putting up with what these false teachers are teaching. It must have broke his heart. And Paul wanted them to realize that he was giving them the truth of God's word. They were out to lead them astray. They didn't care about the people 
but Paul did. He was concerned with their spiritual well-being. You put up with them too quickly. Vincent explains the situation as, and I kind of like the way he writes it here, quote, you gladly endure these false teachers, why not me? And this is happening too much today. Paul is calling the Corinthians out, and he's exposing the threat. My friend, Satan is out to deceive your people. He is out to destroy your people. Understand the threat. Understand what's going on. Love your people. Have a right attitude towards them. And care about their spiritual well-being. And lead them to a loyalty to Christ. Now, we can't make them loyal, but there are things we can do to help in that process. But Satan is there. He's real. And he's doing an excellent job of deception. We have our work cut out for us today, especially with so many charlatans in pulpits spreading all kinds of false teaching and deceptions and leading so many astray. Don't give up. Don't quit. Be energized. Be passionate. Have a zeal for God. Have a zeal for his people. I feel, I shouldn't say I feel, I've seen too many pastors grow complacent. And that can happen when we get discouraged. My friends, don't be complacent. Have a zeal for the spiritual well-being of your people and that they would be devoted to Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that we have your truth. We thank you, Father, that we are the victors. And Father, we know the enemy is powerful. But we know that you are more powerful. You are God Almighty. Wake us up, Father. Give us a zeal to have a right heart before you ourselves and have a zeal and a love for the spiritual well-being of our people. Oh, Father, give us strength. Help us. Much work to be done, but we're thankful we're not alone, that you are with us and you are sovereignly working. And we'll give you the glory, Father, and we pray for that strength for every day to keep serving you, to keep on keeping on, to never quit. And to glorify thy son, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.